I'm Katie, and thanks for checking out this message today. We're glad you and your family are here, and we would love to get connected with you. One easy way you can do that is text River Connect to 97000. You can also visit our website, therivertrch.cc, to learn more about us and some upcoming events. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321, or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. So, typically, I am pretty good about my screen time during the week, Uh, but this week, I felt like I spent more time on my phone watching videos than normal, which... You could speculate a million different reasons for that. But I found one video this last week that I found incredibly humorous. It was uh, a, a couple, uh, it, was, it was a girl and she was, she was a college age student. And she was talking about how uh, a couple days ago she had gone out to a restaurant with some of her friends. And she had gotten uh, this guac and I'm not a big guac person. If you're a guac person, I'm sorry. Uh, I've tried it. I really want to like it. It seems like the cool thing to like. But uh, I'm not a big fan. But she was telling, saying how at this restaurant, she had had this guac, and it was the best guacamole she'd ever had. And so when she left the restaurant, she got ready to leave the restaurant, she asked the server, she's like, hey, can you just give me like a full box of that guacamole. And somehow she ended up convincing him to do so. So she got like this big, you know, takeaway box uh, with the leftover box and she just filled it to the brim with all the guacamole. And she was like so excited. She's like, I was just like so pumped to go home and just like get a whole bag of chips and just like devour this, right? So she walks out of the restaurant. When she walks out of the restaurant, this homeless man comes up to her and asks her, hey, can I have your leftovers? And she's like, and I was a little bit caught off guard and I was afraid. And so I decided to give it to him. And when she says that, you hear one of her friends like yell in the background, it's not a good deed if you're telling everyone about it. And she turns around to her friend, she goes, it's not about it being a good deed. I really wish I hadn't given it to him. I wanted that guacamole. And and she's like complaining about it. She's like, man, I really wish that I had that. Uh, I, I didn't want to do my good deed for the day. And it's really interesting what is classified as a good deed, right? You, if you scroll through videos for any semblance of time, right, you eventually will try and come, or you'll get to, you know, some video about some heartwarming story about how this person is so awesome and, and gave to this, this other person or provided for someone's needs and they're making a big show of it, right? And, and it always, that seems to always get the views, right? Or if you're on YouTube, right, YouTube is so great about promoting whatever it is with that little fundraiser tag, right? Everyone loves a good story. And a lot of times what happens is, or a good story of, you know, doing good or doing good deeds. And a lot of times we are suckers for it, right? We immediately flock to it and we're like, oh, you know, look at this person. They're so great. Or maybe it, maybe it's a selfish thing and we're like, why couldn't that good deed have come to me, right? That YouTuber gave away a car. Why couldn't I have been, been the one to get that car, right? And, and it's interesting because this idea of good deeds is something 
in our society that gets talked a lot about a lot, but there's all these different views on what it actually is. What does it mean to actually do something good? And is it something good if you're doing it for your own selfish gain? And you could be at any different end of the spectrum on that, but Jesus in in uh, the Gospels, is very clear about what that looks like. What it means to do good and how we should go about caring and providing for people who need it. And this morning we're going to take a look at what he has to say in the Sermon on the Mount. But before we do, let's pray together. Lord, we come to you this morning. Lord, I, I pray that as we study your word, as we jump into scripture, that you would help it to be clear to us. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak, your Holy Spirit would move, and that we would not put up walls of defenses, that we wouldn't make excuses, but that we would solely look to be changed by the power of your word. In your precious and holy name, Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, over the last couple years, uh, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount every October and November. And uh, some of you are like, wait, I don't remember that. Yeah, it was a year ago, all right? You know, sometimes we don't have the best memory. But I, I went back and looked to make sure, right? And we do. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. I think we've been going through it for three years now. Uh, and it's interesting. When we started uh, preaching the Sermon on the Mount, it was like some of my first sermons here at the River Church. Some of my first sermons just in general. And I've been, I love the Sermon on the Mount. And it was actually, when we first started, it was something that I was incredibly excited to preach because it is so revolutionary what Jesus has to say in these chapters. Now, if you don't know what's going on in the Sermon on the Mount, right, we're going to be picking up in the middle of it. Uh, so you have two years worth of sermons to go back and listen to. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I mean, if you want to, but, um, but we've, we're picking up in this Sermon on the Mount where Basically what's happened is Jesus, he's beginning his ministry and he is teaching. And as he's teaching, people are beginning to follow. They're beginning to flock to him and surround him. And they're sitting there and they're like, man, he is a super smart dude. And they consider him a rabbi, which is a really great teacher. And so there are all these people that are gathered around. And what happens is in the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus sees that all these people have come and they've gathered there. And what he does is he just kind of sits down and he's like, all right, let's have a great conversation. And so he sits down and his disciples and then all the followers who, are, who have been following him from city to city, from place to place, they kind of like scooch closer. And they all get in and he's on top of this mountain sitting and he's teaching them. And I love that picture because there is a lot of times in scripture where we get Jesus teaching and we get to hear what he has to say. But there, this is just a very prolonged teaching session that happens over several chapters in scripture. And Jesus decides to address one thing after another as he sits with these followers. And the thing that's interesting is Jesus, from uh, Matthew chapter 5 on, he begins to stir the pot. 
Now, if you know me and you get a chance to sit with me, I like to stir the pot. And so that's why the Sermon on the Mount is something that is so awesome is because Jesus, as he begins to teach, he begins to revolutionize thought after thought. What had happened was these people who were following him, they were in the habit of getting to know the word of God, right? They were religious people. That's why they were following him in general. And so they saw him as a teacher and they wanted to know more. And so they had this baseline understanding of what it meant to follow and to serve God. And so they had this, this baseline thought and belief and they, uh, they had come in with all these like preconceived notions. And Jesus sits down and he just starts shattering one after another. And he begins to change, to transition, to flip the script on almost everything they had learned in their time studying how to serve God. Right? And he starts saying things that they're like, wait, hold on, hold on. Repeat that? Like if you look at in chapter 5 of Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 2, he opens his mouth and he teaches them and he goes through these things where he says, He's blessing, or these are the people that will be blessed. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And he goes on and on and on. And they listen and they hear things. They're like, wait, blessed are the poor in spirit? Wait, wait, wait. I've heard it said that, like, if I follow God, he's going to bless me. He's going to make me rich. So, like, how am I blessed if I'm supposed to be poor? And, like, that doesn't make any sense. Or, you know, like, wait, I thought that, you know, if I'm serving God, that he will, you know, he will never make life hard and that he will protect the people I love. And that's why I'm serving him. That's why I'm sacrificing him so that nothing bad will happen. And so, wait, 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 blessed, blessed are those who mourn. Doesn't that mean something bad's happened? And so they're confused. And Jesus is just flipping one thing after another. And he's saying, hey, you've heard it this way. You've heard it this way, when in fact, it's so much different than you thought. And what had happened was these people, they had got into this, this idea of what it looked like to follow God. And they had formed this idea of religion, right? all right, I have to practice this, I have to do this, I have to, you know, say the right words, I have to go to the temple and go through the motions, and I have to do this, and if I do all these things, then I can have salvation. It's based off of me and what I do. And if I can fulfill the law, if I can go and and do the things of the law of Scripture, then I can get to heaven. And when Jesus comes onto the scene, Their hope is, they're like, we can't ever seem to live up to this stuff. We're constantly doing things wrong. We're constantly not able to live up. So maybe this guy who's supposed to be the Messiah, he's going to show up and he's just going to be like, all right, we're done with that old stuff and we're on to something new. And Jesus actually, in Matthew chapter 5, he nixes that. He says, no, 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 I'm not here to do that. I'm actually here to fulfill the law. I'm here to be the one who does live up to the law. And then you're going to understand later down the road, I'm going to be the one that suffers your punishment. 
And that is the very peace of the gospel, right? That we fall, we fell short. In our sin, we fell short. We deserved death. We deserved punishment. We, in our sin, deserved to be separated from God. But Jesus, he came because he saw us and he loved us and he cared for us and he didn't want us to be separate from him. And so he lived a perfect life as both God and man. And he died on the cross and rose again for us. He was the substitute. And that only happens because he came to fulfill the law, to be the perfect example, to do the right things because we can't. And we always do the wrong things. But it's interesting, as he talks about this idea of the, the, the law, and he says, I came to fulfill the law, not abolish it. He says, you, you guys, all of you have cheapened it over the years. You have made the law easier for you because you thought you had to accomplish the law. That's my job. He says, so what you did is the Pharisees came and they lowered the standard. They lowered the standard. You have heard, don't murder But actually, if you're angry at someone, you've committed murder in your heart. You see how you had the bar down here? The bar's actually up here because it's about your heart. And he does it with thing after thing. He does it with lust. You've heard don't commit adultery. Oh, sorry, down here. You've heard don't commit adultery, but really the bar's up here. If you lust after someone, you're committing adultery in your heart. He says it with divorce. He's got, he does it with promises. He does it with loving others. And thing after thing, he goes, you have heard this because they wanted to cheapen God's holiness. But that's not the case. My holiness is sufficient and it is so much greater that it will cover all. And so he talks about this idea. Jesus is moving from this idea of All right, here's what it means to follow God. And the way that he does that is he starts off by talking about here's what your idea of what sin is, and then here's what sin actually is, right? And so that is kind of where chapter 5 ends. And we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 6. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus continues this idea of flipping the script. And we're going to see what happens in starting in verse 1. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 4 says this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward for your father who, or from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret, will reward you. And so we see Jesus begins to flip from, all right, here is what you thought about sin and here is what sin is, to here is how you live as godly people. 
Here's how you actually practice what it means to be people of faith. He's not saying this is how you earn your salvation. He still holds to he's the one that is going to fulfill the law and that that's going to come in full when he goes to the cross. But he's saying, all right, as you follow me, as you say that you're a believer, as you say you're a Christ follower, here are some of the ways in which you should see that played out. And he begins to tackle this idea of giving. And really, he actually starts to tackle a bunch of different issues, which we're going to be looking at over the next weeks. But he highlights it in two different ways. He says, first, he says, here is what you should be doing. Here is giving. And then he's like, here is how you should be giving in the way in which that happens. And so we're actually going to start off with the really fun one, which is the topic of giving. And then we're going to talk about how that happens. So actually, in Scripture... There are kind of two ways in which we see giving, right? We hear giving when it comes surrounding God's people, right? And, and when giving is talked about in this way, in the Old Testament, it's talked about like giving to the temple, right? Providing for the Levitical priests, right? Or the Levites, right? And, and so they should have been giving of their, of their crops and of their money so that the priests could survive and live Because they weren't able to farm. They were taking care of the spiritual needs of the people. And then in the New Testament, it's talked about in terms of the church. You should be giving to your local body. You should be giving to the church. Because if you're going to worship God, the way in which you do that is to provide for the way in which you worship. And if you're going to serve God, you should be serving God not just with your time, but also with your resources. And so he talks about it that way. And as much as I know you guys want to talk about giving to the church this morning, because that's everyone's favorite topic, uh, that's actually not what Jesus is talking about here. He's actually talking about the second way giving happens. He says, really, there's, there's two different ways, right? There's that one where you're giving to God's people. And then throughout Scripture, it's saying you're also supposed to be giving to the poor, You're supposed to be taking care of the needs of those who are in need. These are the things like orphans and widows and people who are going through extreme hardship, people who are in poverty, beggars. And throughout Scripture, this is referenced, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And really, the people who had gathered around Jesus, they would have understood this and been practicing it. Right? That's why he just kind of references, he's like, hey, um, he doesn't tell them you should be giving. He's saying, when you give, right? There's an assumption, you should be giving. You should know this. And it actually comes from Deuter- Deuteronomy chapter 15. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 15. Here is kind of where the foundation of that idea is laid out, right? In the law, we see that there is a way in which you should be giving to the church, which, it, you know, you've probably heard of it, you know, a ten- 10% or a tenth of what you have, right? You should be giving. And that is laid out in the law. That comes from Old Testament law that they're saying, all right, here, if you're going to obey God, here's what you have to give. And that had been laid out. And then we see this come in Deuteronomy as it's written. It says this, Deuteronomy 15, starting in verse 7. If among you, one of your brothers should become poor in any way, or in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, 
You shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him uh, sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Right? That's written in the law. The expectation is, all right, here's what you're doing. Here's how you're giving to the church. And then also, if you see people in need, if there's people around you and you have the means to give to them, you have the means to provide for them, that's what you should be doing. Or turn with me to Proverbs 19. In Proverbs, King Solomon is talking about wise and righteous ways to live. And he says, here is a super wise way to handle when you see people in need. It says this. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deeds. He says, all right, if you see that there are people who are poor, you see there are people who are in need, that is the Lord. You have an opportunity to give, not to necessarily that person. Yes, you're giving them money, but, or you're providing for their finances, or you're providing for their needs. But truthfully, what you're doing is you are giving to the Lord, because the Lord will use that. Or turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 22. In Jeremiah chapter 22, he's talking about how one of the ways in which uh, you can avoid living against God's ways is you can live in this idea of generosity. And he's talking about leading the people. Jeremiah 22, starting in verse 16, says this, He judged the cause of the poor and the needy, then it was well. Is not this to know me, declares the Lord. But you have eyes and a heart only for your dishonest gain, for the shedding of innocent blood, and for practicing oppression and violence. He, this is a warning, right? This is a warning issued from Jeremiah as he's, as, er, on the behalf of God, right? God issued this warning through Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is going to them and saying, here is God's desire. Here is God's heart. God's heart is for the poor and the needy. You should be providing for them. This is the thing that God ordained. But really, we can see how jacked up your life is because all you want is to shed innocent blood. All you want is greed. All you want is to practice oppressing them. And actually, this continues, right? You thought we were just done in the Old Testament. But even if you switch back to Matthew chapter 5, earlier in Jesus' sermon, he actually addresses the same idea. He reminds them of this very thing. And that's why he continues this thought. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 42, it says, Give to the one from, or who begs from you, and do not receive or refuse the one who would borrow from you. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. He says, man, give, give, care for. And Jesus speaks in the same way in Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12, verse 32, he's, he's talking to this group of people, and he's saying, here is the way in which you should live. Here is the way that you can honor God. Here is the way that you can follow me. Verse 32 
Uh, Luke 12, verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give it to the needy. Provide for yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He says, look, I... I can tell where your heart is. Your heart is in your wallet. And so, if you want to show me that your heart's with me, my heart is for the poor. My heart is for the hurting. My heart is for the people who don't have what they need. So, where's your heart going to be? And throughout the New Testament... This continues. Paul, in 1 Timothy, as he's writing to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul is writing to Timothy and he's talking to him about, all right, here is the way in which you can be a godly man. Here is the way in which you should look to lead your church. Here is the way in which you can be a leader. And he says this, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be hardy, or haughty, not, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And we can breathe, right? We've looked at all these verses, right? We see that this is a consistent thought. This is a consistent desire. This is consistently what God wants from us. He says, you have gotten so, it's so mixed up. You have thought that your treasure needs to be, you know, in your own lockbox, buried under your bed, in the bank, in your wallet, on Apple Pay, right? That's not where it needs to be. He says, your treasure isn't actually the money, the green, whatever it is. It's not that. Your treasure is what comes from using that to love people. You've heard that that's what your blessing is, right? The Pharisees had taught, all right, if you give to the church, it's gonna come back to you. You're gonna be rich. You're gonna have all this stuff. And that's a thought that even churches today have fallen to, right? If you give to the church, God will bless you. He'll give you all this money. It's a lie. But God says, I actually have a treasure for you that's better than that. If you can believe it, right? Because it's hard for us to imagine something better than money. But he says, actually, you will be blessed with something better than that. If you look and you use what God has given you now to bless others, to care for others, to love others, you will have a treasure that lasts for eternity. You have a treasure that is truly life, that gives you, as Paul said to Timothy, a good foundation. Or, as Jesus says in Luke 12, a treasure in heaven that does not fail. You see, 
The blessings that come from giving, providing, caring for is far beyond what we can expect. See, loving God is caring for the people he loves. And we see time and time again throughout his word, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, God loves the poor. And he desires for us to love them as well. And the way that we do that is we show kindness. And we show kindness through giving. The way that we love them is to sacrifice And the reason that that sacrifice is something that we're called to is because it's a demonstration of how God loved us. If you jump back to Matthew chapter 5, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, you realize you were poor too, right? Right? He's not talking about money now. He, or earlier, he was talking about spiritual poor. You were in spiritual poverty. You owed a debt that you could not pay because of your sin. And because of that debt, because you're in spiritual poverty, God saw you and his heart was moved for you and Jesus saw you and he loved you and he saw your spiritual poverty, he saw your spiritual need and he came down from heaven to die on the cross for you. And so when we give to others, we demonstrate that same way. We demonstrate that same love and when we give to others and they look and say, Why? I don't understand. We can look at you and say, because God gave to me. And he gave me something way better than money. Way better than leftover guac. Right? He gave us something far better. And it's important that we see that and that we are moved to give. And the funny thing is, a lot of times what we do is we... We like to uh, come up with excuses, right? We like to be like, oh, they're just going to use it for alcohol or drugs. Or, you know, oh, they're, they're probably just going to take it and we don't really know what they're going to use it for. Or, you know, I don't want to give them money because it just kind of like perpetuates a cycle of need, right? And I, you know, teach a man to fish, right? But it's funny, like, Jesus doesn't give us that out. Jesus doesn't say like, uh, only give gift cards, Right? Or only give bus passes. He says very clearly earlier in Matthew chapter 5, give to the one who begs from you. And do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. He says if they ask, give. They ask, give. Now I'm not saying, you know, all right, some of you ask your neighbor for like a hundred grand, Right? And, all right, you got to borrow it to them now. No, what he's saying is, if you see the need, right, supply that need. Find a way to care for that need. Sometimes it doesn't have to be cash. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's school supplies. Maybe it's taking them to get clothes or finding other ways to meet their needs. Maybe it's a ride. Man, there's a bunch of ways that we can care for the poor. Uh, But I was talking to some students this week, and and what I said to them is, if you want to follow God, you'll get creative on how to do it. And so if you want to 
care for the poor, if your heart breaks for them the same way that Jesus' heart breaks for them, the same way that Jesus' heart broke for you in your spiritual poverty, you will get creative on how to care for them, on how to provide for them, on how to love them and show them and meet their needs. But the thing that I love about what Jesus teaches here is he says, don't do it for other people to see. He says, he takes, you know, that bar and he raises it again. He says, you've heard, right? right? Give to the poor, provide for the poor. He says, but you've gotten it backwards. The Pharisees and even you are practicing this and you're doing it for clout, right? You're doing it for reputation. You're doing it for other people to see. You're performing at a spiritual fashion show. All right, put on my give to the poor suit this week. Everyone take a look at me. He says, no. He says, that's not the heart. Jesus did what he did for us out of love. And so we should do it out of love. And the way that we do that out of love is we don't make a show of it. We don't make it about us. We don't make it about what we get, the good feeling, or we don't make it about the godliness. It's about caring for that other person. So much so, in fact, don't even let other people know. Right? That's what he's talking about. He's continuing that idea of a body, right? Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. He says, people don't need to know. God knows. God sees these things. If you want to honor him, it needs to become less about theatrics. It needs to become less about making sure everyone sees. It needs to become less about you and more about the person in which you care for. He says, if you really want to honor God, then sacrifice in secret. Because that's truly sacrifice. It's a transaction, right? If you're not doing a secret. Uh, All right, yeah, I may be sacrificing, but I actually still am getting something. I'm getting reputation. I'm getting, you know, all these people looking at me. But when it's done in secret, it's a sacrifice because you're giving and you're not getting anything in return. Aside from God honoring you and, and him seeing your obedience. And so really what it comes down to this week is, are you caring for the needs of those who need? Are you finding ways to love people who are hurting? If our community were to look at our church and say, like, are those people who we see care for the poor in our community, what would they say? How can we reach the people in our world? We can do it by caring for their needs. And then the question is, maybe some of you are. But Jesus asks, what's your heart behind it? And I extend that to a bunch of things, right? Not just giving, but what's your heart behind living for God? Is it so others see you? It's so others can look and be like, oh, look at that godly individual. Or is it because you love God? You want to sacrifice for him. And over these next couple weeks, we're going to really be diving deep into this issue of like, watch your heart. And so I'd encourage you, over these next weeks, 
Maybe repeat that in your mind. I need to watch my heart. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I showing up to growth community? Why am I giving to the poor? Why am I standing up and worshiping? Is it because it's just like a duty and I just feel like I have to do it? Is it because I want other people to see me? Or is it because I'm excited about living for God? Because I am excited about sacrificing because I want to love the Lord and I want to obey him. And so I encourage you, that's my mindset for, for these next weeks. Watch my heart. Watch my heart. Justin, why are you doing that? You gotta be watching your heart. Where's your heart at? Why are you doing these things? Watch your heart. Is it for godliness? Is it to honor God? Is it it to love God and obey God? Or is it for appearances? And so I encourage you to do the same. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we see throughout Scripture your heart for the poor your heart for the hurting your heart for those in need Lord and I pray that you would get rid of all excuses that we like to use Lord that you'd get rid of all hesitations that we have in caring for people who are in need But Lord, that you would give us a desire to meet their needs, a desire to care for them, a desire to provide, a desire to give because you gave for us and because you've given to us. You've given to us salvation through your son, Jesus Christ, but you've also blessed us with so many resources and ways in which we can do that. Whether it's time, whether it's money, whether it's food, whether it's whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you'd give us an excitement to give and to provide. Not because we want to look a certain way or because we want gratitude or whatever it is, but because we're excited to bless others in the way in which you've blessed us. Lord, and I pray if there's someone in this room who's never heard the gospel or never heard the truth of their spiritual poverty that they are in, Lord, I pray that you would move them through the gospel to maybe come and talk to me or grab one of the deacons or grab someone in here and ask some questions about what the gospel is and what it means for their lives. Lord, but we thank you for the opportunity to gather together to worship and that you've given us the blessings and that we can use to bless others. And I pray that you give us a passion to do so. Lord, we love you in your precious and holy name, Jesus' name.